Welcome to an original series, the podcast celebrating our favorite TV series, Behind the Paywall. I'm one of your co-hosts, Patch, and with me, as always, is my friend, Adam. Hello there. <laughs> it's good to good to <laughs> see you and hear from you once again. I know. Our third episode. It feels like just, feels like just last week that we started this thing. <laughs> it seems like so long ago, doesn't it? Yeah, it was last week. <laughs> Well, I'm glad you're still sticking with me. I mean, this would be kind of an awful podcast if I was just doing this by myself. Yeah, especially if we were like, yeah, we did two episodes. We're burnt out out now. (laughs) Well, thanks for tuning in. We are going through Ted Lasso. Obviously, you know this because you've clicked on this episode. And we are on episode three of season one, Trent Krim, The Independent. I know we were both excited about that because we're both big fans of Trent already. His glasses, his hair, among other things. And I'm excited to get into the episode. Yeah, before we move on, though, I want to mention one thing about the previous episode entitled Biscuits. Okay. I don't know if you noticed this, but I just did myself. It was directed by Zach Braff of Scrubs fame. What? I didn't notice that. The one and only episode of Ted Lasso that he directed. Oh, my goodness. People might want to make note of that. That's awesome. <laughs> I'm going to have to start paying attention to the credits more. I know. And now I'm like thinking, well, who else might pop up as director in the We'll future? have to see. We'll have to see. Yeah. Speaking of the credits, I want to throw a little love to the opening titles. I think oh, that yeah. the way that the show starts, I mean, usually there's a cold open and then the, the credits, but I love the look of the opening credits. And I think that there's something symbolic about Ted sitting down in these grubby painted seats that have like graffiti all over them and everywhere he sits and his name is essentially just giving them a clean slate. And it almost kind of reflects his positive can do attitude. I don't know if that's what the creators were going for, but it's absolutely fantastic. I love the, the opening titles for sure. Oh, it's a great opening and it's short and sweet. It's like sometimes show openings can be, a little long-winded, but this just gets a cut to the chase, if you will, and gets you right into the show. But it's a great little, very memorable opening. And I think all great shows have great opening songs and great opening credit sequences. You know, I think of going back to a show like Cheers. I mean, who doesn't right. remember the the opening to that? So, so good. I, I think this will stand the test of time. There are definitely some great ones out there. And but that's a discussion for another day or another podcast. <laughs> right. right now we're talking about uh, Ted Lasso, again, season one, episode three, and uh, lots going on in this episode, Adam. We've got the ups and downs of Nate. We've got Rebecca's continual sabotage of Ted. And then we've got uh, lots more, including Roy's rough exterior being a little bit softened later in the episode. This is about where we should give you our official spoiler warning that we are going to be talking in depth about this as we do with all of our episodes. So make sure you've watched it, come back and enjoy the conversation with us. So the episode opens up with Rebecca turning off an alarm. We see her in the background, getting ready for the day, opening the curtains towards her office. And we see her just giddy because she wants to uh, check out the magazine that she has paid someone to run this tabloid piece because of Ted and Keeley doing some things that are very sultry. 
one thing I want to point out, the alarm goes off at 6 a.m. And she's already dressed and ready for the day. Like, who does that? I know. And it's bright. The sun is out. I mean, maybe it's the time of year. I don't know. But it seems like <laughs> right now, where I live in New York, it is dark in the morning, that, or that it's, early in the morning. It's that so. <laughs> Um, but I'm wondering, you know, if your alarm goes off at six, you already got dressed and you're, you're basically like getting ready to leave. You either yeah. set your alarm way too early or you are just a morning person. And I never pick her to be a morning person. Honestly, I think she seems a little bit grouchy, especially when yeah. Ted comes in to I think give it, her her morning biscuits. It might be to emphasize in this episode that she's so elated that this story is going to break. It's going to essentially fast track her plan to bring the club to the, you know, to burn it to the ground. Because if Keeley is caught canoodling with the new manager of the team, Jamie's going to get upset. He's going to probably punch the coach out. The coach is, you know, Lasso is going to leave. It's just all going to unravel. And then she gets what she wants, right? Her ultimate goal at this point in the series is to destroy the, the club so that she can get back at her ex-husband. And so maybe that's her just 4 a.m. ready to go because she just wants to get that newspaper and see her handiwork come to fruition. Yeah, she, she seems like my son on the weekends. I can barely get him <laughs> up at 6, yeah. 6.30 in the morning to go to school. But every Saturday, every Sunday, he's rolling into our bedroom at 6 45 saying can i watch something and i'm like how do you know that right. it's the weekend why are you exactly. not like this during the week when i need you to get dressed <laughs> right so rebecca you know kudos to her for being being like my son <laughs> yeah so the scene takes us into her office she's thumbing through the sun and she's getting really really mad and of course yeah. the scene ends with this fantastic expletive a good use of the the f word in this case <laughs> and then it goes to the title sequence First, she makes a phone call. Yes, and she calls Higgins, <laughs> to, but she yeah. but she gives him uh, a, a funny nickname, which we're not going to say on the podcast because we don't want the E next to our show. The show then builds into this sequence where she comes in to, the, to her office, Ted comes in, gives her her biscuits, and then they have this whole great story about a clock. Like He's like, man, I had the greatest Sunday ever. I actually got to see Big Ben. And then he compares it to this clock that he was left at by his parents. <laughs> yeah, finally saw Big Ben. Boy, I thought I'd seen the biggest clock there was. When I was a kid, my folks took me to the Allen Bradley Clock Tower up there in Milwaukee. You know, they ended up leaving me there all by myself. You know, three hours and 42 minutes. You know how I know that? You were staring at the clock. I was staring at the clock. That's exactly right. Yeah, bingo. That's a little bit of a mystery puzzle that you figured it out right away. You're a shark cookie. I, no. I love just watching her go, why are you here? I don't, I'm like, you can tell because you know what's going through her head. Like she just doesn't want to talk to him. So watching that banter go back and forth, he gives this little <laughs> fist bump, like, all yeah. right, she got it. And, and then it's just, it's so innocent. Yeah. And she also says, um, she tries to get out of this whole exchange by saying, oh, unfortunately I don't have any time. I have a, I, I have a branding meeting and Ted makes a really great joke. Oh, I always feel so bad for the cows, but you got to do it. Otherwise, they get lost. And then he like pauses and there's silence. That was a branding joke. If we were in Kansas right now, I'd just be sitting here waiting for you to finish laughing. Well, what was funny is when I was watching it, yeah. there was enough time that passed that I thought, did, does he really mean that? Does he really think that, that she's talking about branding cows? And then, of course, he leads in and says, no, that, that was a joke. <laughs> yeah, there were a lot of sort of awkward pauses there because clearly mm -hmm. her mind was somewhere else and on this 
this story that she thought was going to mm-hmm. um, publish that morning. And yeah. Ted's just distracting her and, and, and she's not having it. Yeah. And I also noticed, Adam, that there was some of that nervous conversation with him. Like he seemed again, fill in the gaps. And so mm-hmm. I'm, I'm really starting to pay attention to that to see, is he just making jokes to make jokes, make conversation? This conversation didn't feel purposeful. Like the first conversation, first concert, best concert, this felt like he's passing off the biscuits. And then it's almost as if he's either been shut down by her in this conversation, or he's just run out of things to say. And he's sort of just filling in some of that. So I think there's a little bit more nervousness to you know yeah. the, the gap filling conversation that that we see here. So really interesting stuff there. Yeah, I agree. He's he's definitely that guy, as we said, that needs to fill those awkward silences. He mm-hmm. can't just let it be, or he can't just say, "Okay, it seems like you're busy. I'm going to let you go." Like he has to try to make her laugh. He's still trying to break her down, kind of break right. down those walls that she's yeah. put up. And uh, you know, I I think even though she is clearly not having it this time. I I think it's all him chipping away at her. Even this even now, even th- at this moment he's chipping away at her just a little bit and um getting closer. Persistence. Persistence. Yeah, exactly. Is Ted Lasso. <laughs> yeah. So we move on to the the office scene, Ted's office, and he is scribbling crazily on yeah. the whiteboard. And let me just say, first and foremost, Beard has the most comfortable chair in the universe. <laughs> I wanted that chair so bad, especially the way Beard's sitting in it. I'm like, I wanted to fall asleep because that yeah. chair looks so comfortable. And, you know, he says, this is all just poo. And and then there's that little side conversation where he's it, where Beard just yawns or something. And he goes, yeah. hey, man, <laughs> when did you get in last night? He goes, didn't. And he goes, oh, okay. <laughs> Don't know much about that. What's going yeah, on with Beard? But yeah, nice yeah. little, Ted, nice little throwaway like, really? Huh? <laughs> and Beard just, again, in his classic one word way, just like, meh. <laughs> you know, meh. Like, yeah. Like, A man of few no, words. No, nothing to really tell here, you know, yeah. <laughs> but maybe there is. When I think about Ted and, and Beard, it's almost as if you're getting that, that funny man and that straight man. And I think this is a, a great modern take on that kind of comedic partnership. So it's really good. And then, you know, they're talking about strategy and, you know, we can't just be a, a one trick pony with, with Jamie, you know, Nate's over there, the, the kit man picking up the garbage. He insinuates that he may have an idea for them. And they're like, well, what is it? This is where physical comedy just really shines in the show. He is reaching into his pocket and he's like, oh, that's the grocery list. And, and so he finally grabs this piece of paper and then he just gets real reluctant and kind of gets quiet. And then Ted says one of my favorite lines. He says, I'm sorry, Nate, I have a real tricky time hearing folks that don't believe in themselves. So I'm going to ask you real quick again. Do you think this idea will work? Yeah, I do. And then there's this fantastic moment where beard falls out of his chair because it's like they've been blown away whoa why are you screaming at us nate we're right here and it's so over the top good that i just i busted out laughing it's so yeah, it's so fantastic great. And yeah and, and and he basically offers uh some play ideas mm-hmm. and, and the primary one being to use jamie as a decoy right it's a great i mean it's a great strategy it's simple yep. but but effective because he is their number one scorer on the team and why would they not utilize him to the fullest right so very simple but straightforward strategy and clearly nate 
has been watching all these games and knows a ton about the players and the, and the sport. And if anyone could uh, could come up with something, he's the guy. He's like one of he's like the number one fan, if you will. He's got the inside track on everybody and what's going on. So in a way, he's kind of like a secret weapon. Yeah, the last place you would expect a play for a premier football club to come from a kit man. So it's yeah. really kind of great. And then the scene ends in such a Ted Lasso way where Nate asks, are you going to use it? And he goes, I don't know, maybe it'd be like a little outfit. We'll just try it on. And then they start dancing and sauntering off. They strut out of the office and there's that great cut back to Nate just sort of doing that really bad dancing. He dances like I do at my wedding. This is pretty much like <laughs> a, a picture perfect. If you want to know how I danced at my wedding, watch Nate. And, and it wouldn't end properly without them going the wrong way and then strutting actually to the correct place. So <laughs> right. wonderful moment with all three of those guys. We're getting a little bit of that highlight of maybe Nate, the underdog guy. Right. <laughs> So then we go to the hallway. Keely pulls Ted aside. She tells him the paper is going to run this thing in a day. We've got to do something. We get to see how Ted calmly reacts to things. And I think this right. is a fantastic character trait of him because he doesn't seem to lose his cool. We're only three episodes in, but he seems to be the level-headed guy that we're starting to grow to love. Keely gives him this kind of sarcastic headline of what the paper is going to reveal what the sun's going to reveal about their relationship. And right. he makes this great line. He says, well, I think a more accurate headline would be manager innocently feeds a young woman whose relationship does not define her. And it's just <laughs> perfect. But throughout the whole conversation, Adam, he's not trying to calm her down. He's casually listening. I'd like to think that he's sort of absorbing all of the fear and the anxiety that she's feeling to try to process, okay, how are we going to deal with this? And I think that right. he's just sort of putting a plan in action. And it's such a great little moment between those two, because we see them together in the previous episode, and there's a little bit of friendly bonding between the two. Now there's this level of trust where, yes, she's looking out for herself, but she's also looking out for him. Yeah. But the whole conversation is really cool because I love seeing how he responds to her, she responds to him. And this is a moment that I think can really be a trust building moment between the two of them. And what we see, you know, a couple of scenes later really pays that off. Yeah. Yeah. I think also it's interesting because his reaction, as you said, was not one of panic. It was more of, okay, what's going on? Let's figure it out. Let's talk it out. And that I think is really true to his character because nothing actually has happened yet. So he's not getting completely crazy over this because it actually hasn't occurred. Now, if it actually had occurred, he might be a little more panicky by that the headline of, I think her headline was manager, shag, star player's girlfriend or something. So if that actually had been published, perhaps uh, he, Ted would be reacting a little differently. But Ted knows that it hasn't happened yet, and he still may have an opportunity to maybe fix the situation before this publishes or goes live. And that's exactly what they do. Ted and Keeley together go to Rebecca's office and try to bring this to her attention and then hopefully see if she can do anything about it. Yeah. And that's the very next scene. They go into her office. They are incredibly honest with her. They show her the pictures and like, who could do this? And of course, she's playing dumb. She tells them that she knows somebody from the paper and she'll make a quick phone call. It's at this point where he pays her that really weird compliment this woman right here is strong confident and powerful 
Boss, I tell you, I'd hate to see you and Michelle Obama arm wrestle, but I wouldn't be able to take my eyes off it either. And then Keely says, she says, Yeah, you do have perfect action figure arms. Adam, (laughs) I'm noticing that. Like the first two episodes, I'm like, in the office, she is always wearing sleeveless outfits, like a blouse or something. And her arms are, I mean, she's cut. So Keely and Ted are not (laughs) wrong in what they're saying. And I think it's just so hilarious that the writers are kind of acknowledging some of these physical features about the characters. Um, I'm hoping we get more of that. If we start finding, I'm hoping they comment on Beard's beard. I think that might be fun if they do something, make a pun out of that. (laughs) But I love that in joke about Rebecca's arms and how she has perfect action figure arms. That's pretty fantastic. I know it was a great line and and her delivery was so perfect. I mean, if you go just watch her, her expression, the way she says it, it's really just like, she's like kind of real at that moment realizing herself like wow yeah look at your arms like they are impressive that's basically what she's yeah. what she's thinking when she says this and it's just a great it's a great moment she's clearly and she she plays this so well this whole this whole situation because she's clearly so torn because she is the cause of this problem and now she's being tasked with mm-hmm. fixing the problem that she you know essentially instigated and has to kill the story that she just that morning was so excited waking up to the thought of this story breaking in the paper and now she has to uh find a way to kill it and go against everything that she had had done in the previous episode it's such a great little like turn so what is she gonna do now we're pretty sure that story's not gonna run but she's not deterred and that's definitely a great kind of revelation about her character is that she's very determined and this is going to be, she's, she's not going to be denied. Ted's going down. More importantly, FC Richmond's going down one way or the other, you know, she's going to find if it's not this tactic that she had started in the last episode, it'll be something else. She just has to keep trying. <laughs> Absolutely. <Yeah. laughs> so they go out to the pitch because they were going to go run the play. And uh, first of all, let me just say the keeper's terrible. Like he is yeah. awful. Yeah. Twice in this, episode they run the same play and the keeper just gets owned and i'm like put another keeper in there because you know that play's coming but then we get that sequence of ted being a coach and he mentions that they need to get speed that their defense needs to be offense their hellos need to be goodbyes and it's it's really cool to see his coaching style you know beard's there and he's going to be his one word self and then he does something that is both surprising and not surprising in order to generate speed, he basically makes the team chase him. And I think that's so juvenilely adorable that only Ted Lasso could get away with something like this. And then that scene ends with Nate just sort of giggling. Like, (laughs) I kind of like this coach. And, And that's great, Adam, because those are things that I'm starting to notice is when does he win over individuals? And I think that laugh from Nate is sort of his way of not only saying he acknowledges, okay, this coach is all right. Secondly, he just ran the play that Nate came up with successfully. So Nate's probably feeling really good. But third, Nate probably feels a little bit more relaxed. You're seeing a little bit of that awkwardness sort of loosen up a little bit. And I think that's really cool. Yeah. And, you know, you have to remember he was present with the previous coach everything ted is doing he's probably in his mind being like wow this is very different than how it's been done before and that's probably impressing him as well because i'm sure he was mistreated 
with the previous coach. And as we learn in this episode, he's being teased and uh, constantly by, by members of the, of the team itself. So he hasn't been somebody that has been well-treated and that anyone actually thinks has any value. He's just there to do a job, you know, right. pick things up, put things away, clean things. Like he's just disposable to most of the people. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, when it comes to the kit men, they're essentially like a servant, you know, they're yeah. doing the dirty laundry, they're taking the shoes, putting them, or excuse me, boots <laughs> and yeah. putting them away and things like that. So for all intents and purposes, they're really not necessarily given a lot of respect. No, no, they should no. be because people are people, but yeah. In, in this case, I mean, they are probably the lowest rung on the pole when it comes to Richmond's staff. And so it's very surprising to know that a play that can be successful, although not necessarily embraced fully by the team, a.k.a. Jamie Tart, right. is, is going to be a successful play. And so then we get into the locker room after after practice and this is where beard has that great sort of beard line where he talks about being on the chess team because <laughs> lasso tells him that he's surprised that he was outrun and he goes well, what's going on i thought you ran track in high school or something chess team coach mm-hmm. illinois state champs be bit okay yeah illinois is a state fellas <laughs> and and then for some reason ted needs to clarify that illinois is the state guys i mean yeah, what, yeah. why do you you just said illinois state champs i mean why do you need to clarify that but whatever uh, yeah i mean he might just be thinking as he knows very little about england and all of the different parts of uh you know the four countries within the country as they talk about in the pilot he, he might be thinking uh, these players probably don't know half of the u.s states and or where they are so i'm sure <laughs> A number of Americans don't know where half of the states are. That's probably so, true. Yeah. Anyway, it's, <laughs> that's probably true. He's just trying to maybe educate wherever he can. Yeah. But yeah, this does open up, like you mentioned, a really great scene where he tells everybody, "Oh, before you go, go check, you know, check your lockers." There's a there's little cubbies, I think he calls them. Uh, you got, I got, you got a gift in there, and and they all take out these little, you know, wrapped packages, and they open them up, and they all have a book that. Ted has, I would assume, personally selected for that individual. And uh, I, I was able to kind of carefully pause and I was look. Gu- and I was going to yeah. ask, did yes. you notice any uh, of the books? Yes. The only three that you could really see, other others were kind of out of focus. You couldn't tell. But yes, yeah, Sam gets Ender's Game by Orson mm-hmm. Scott Card, which I've seen the movie, but I haven't read the book. Uh, Jamie gets uh, The Beautiful and, da- and Damned by F. Scott Fitzgerald. Mm-hmm. And Roy gets a wrinkle in time by Madeline Langle, and that's a very strange book for such a masculine man. I mean, if yeah, you've right? read it or <laughs> or seen the film, the ad- yeah. adaptation of it, it's you know it's about about a little girl who goes on this kind of adventure. So mm-hmm. that's that's humorous, but and this is a great moment where a lot of them are kind of very puzzled, looking at these books, kind of confused, like why what is this? Why do I, why did he give me this? Uh, but, you know, Jamie's reaction is just like, what is this, this book? And he like chucks it, you know, he doesn't care. But I just think, again, this is Ted doing what Ted does. He, without saying anything, he's sort of coaching each individual by way of these books that each one clearly has something in it that he hopes that player will take away that will help them in their personal lives and hopefully also on the field. This is really a great episode that 
makes his coaching style deliberate. So up until then, we're sort of interpreting the kind of way he is. I know in the last episode, I'm like, yeah, he's a lot like me in the way in which he cares for his people. But here, there are some great lines with him and some other characters where he is very obvious, very deliberate about this is what I'm doing and this is why I'm doing it. I think that's really great because yes, we can interpret, but sometimes it's good just to hear it straight from the horse's mouth. Okay. I see what you're doing, but it's not just preaching to us. I mean, it makes sense in the moment when he's actually saying that I will say this, I'd like to try to figure out, maybe we can come back to maybe figure out, okay, why did he give Sam Ender's game? Yeah. Why did he question. give, why did he give Jamie the beautiful and the damned? And by the way, there's one more book that you can sort of see, and I recognize oh, really? the cover, and it's the book Miss Peregrine's Home for Peculiar Children uh-huh. by an author named Ransom Riggs. It actually became a feature film. It did, yeah. And so now I'm wondering, I think the guy that got it is someone that we haven't met yet. So right. it's, uh, you know, these are books that apparently matter to these individuals. Yeah. So, And it's interesting that Ted clearly has read them all or he wouldn't gift them to the players. So that right. also adds to his character that he's a well-read individual, not just sort of modern classics, if you will, that have been <laughs> adapted into films, but you know, true classics like books by F. Scott Fitzgerald. So he's <laughs> well-read and, and, and we see that, we, as we mentioned in the very first episode, we see this on the flight uh, when we're first introduced to him, that he's you know he's reading a book uh, on the flight, so he's clearly this is something he likes to do in his in his personal time. Yeah, yeah. Well, the the scene continues with Roy getting pissed off at Jamie yeah. because Jamie's instigating this bullying of Nate, and we're kind of on the side of Roy. We're like, seriously, you know, stop doing this. And so he goes to the principal's office, <laughs> aka yeah. Coach Lasso, and he says what any good good boy would do he would tell the teacher that <laughs> that a kid's being bullied yeah then ted just casually says no i'm not going to do anything about that and he goes really you're you're not and then he goes into that analogy of like there are two things i learned from elementary school right. i learned two pretty big lessons on the rough and tumble playgrounds of brookridge elementary school one if little ronnie fouch offers you a candy bar you immediately say no and you get the hell out of there because there's a good chance that little son of a gun has just pooped inside of a Butterfinger wrapper. No one ever saw him do it, but a couple of people ate it. Number two, if the teacher tells a bully not to pick on someone, it's just going to make it worse. Ted, that's true. That's mm-hmm. absolutely true. I remember there were some small moments when I was growing up and I was bullied, and it did make it worse when my friends went to the teacher and it just didn't help things. Sometimes you got to take your licks. Yeah. That's a conversation for another day, but I love that moment because at the end of it, Roy is just pissed off. Like he is, he is absolutely just distraught. he's like, what are you doing? If I didn't have a reason to hate you already, I'll just add that to the list. And there's a level of sincerity and humor in this. He's asked by Beard, you know, why are you riling him up? What's, what's the point? And he, and, and again, this is what I was talking about, where there's a very deliberate methodology. And he says, he's the one coach. We're going to make an impact here. First domino needs to fall right inside that man's heart. 
Yeah. And there's a cut to Roy and then a cut back to Ted. And then Roy, for better or for worse, just goes after Jamie and goes on that tirade in oh, the yeah. weight room, which is so absolutely funny because Jamie's completely oblivious. Oh, yeah. He's like, I want to talk to you. And he's like, oh, yeah. And he gives him his rundown about how, how he works how out. Reps, he's like, yeah, how many reps he does. And he's, you know, just, <laughs> his shirt is off and he's just like flexing his muscles. He's just totally clueless to everything going on around him. He's just, a, he's, he's really just a spoiled kid. And basically, Roy says so much. He says, like, you know, if God hadn't touched your foot, I think he said, you wouldn't be anything. So he's really talented at this sport, but that's about all he has, right? So, <laughs> and clearly as a aging player, Roy knows that eventually you have to grow up. Eventually you have to mature. You have to have something more than just your talent to get you by. And yeah, he just goes after Jamie in this scene. And it's great because he basically tells him, you know, to stop picking on, on Nate the Great. He tells him to tell his buddies, you know, his, I think he calls them his little side pricks. <laughs> and, you know, they what need a just, great plan works. I know. <laughs> so it's, uh, yeah, it's a great scene where we really get to see who Roy is, what he's made of and <laughs> what he stands for. That, yes, he's a grump, but he's got a good heart, right? He's got, he does. He really does have the best interest of the team mm-hmm. and of even people like Nate, who right. are not officially members of the team, but he cares about how everyone is is performing and being treated. And that's why he's the cap. He's the you know he's the team captain because he yeah. he understands what it takes. But clearly, mm-hmm. he hasn't had a good coach to kind of coach him into being the best captain he can be until now. <laughs> Yeah, there's a level of ownership, Adam, that I think exists with leadership. And up to this point, it seems like Roy hasn't had to do that. He sees everything on the pitch and that's his job, but everything off the field should be somebody else's. You're the coach. You should take care of the off the field stuff. And so there's a really interesting lesson learned here that, no, when you take care of your team, you're taking care of them on and off the field. That scene really sort of creates a level of humility that we see in Roy, where he has to come up to Jamie and essentially admit you're better than yeah. everybody else. And, and, as and you unfortunately, Jamie, being the, the person that he is, just goes right over to his buddies and tells them to keep messing with Nate yeah. because it makes him laugh. <laughs> so he just it, does the polar opposite. So clearly this, this situation has not yet resolved itself. <laughs> but the way that setup is so great because, again, you get that familiar sitcom setup where in, in a 80s or 90s sitcom, Jamie would say, don't mess with him again. But in this case, because it's consistent with Jamie's character, he watches Roy leave and he goes, keep it up. Makes me laugh. Yeah. <laughs> and, it's, and by the way, I just, I love Jamie's accent. This is something that I'm not sure we talked about in the last episode, but that international flavor that we get, you mentioned with the way Roy said the word tasty snacks in the, yeah. in the vending machines. <laughs> And I don't think those lines could be delivered if we didn't have the accents behind them so effectively. Same thing with Ted. Jason Sudeikis kills it with that Kansas accent. Some of these lines wouldn't land without that kind of accent diversity. And I think it's great. Yeah. And uh, I just, I love hearing these guys deliver lines as much as I enjoy quoting the lines. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's a true melting pot it's mm-hmm. in that locker room, right? You've got just people from all walks of life, nationalities, accents. It's incredible. Yeah. So we move forward. Rebecca and Higgins have that conversation. She's not deterred. She's got a new strategy. So she's killed the story. And then the next scene's in her office. Ted comes in and she says one of the best laugh out loud lines of the show. 
So, I spoke to the owner of The Sun. You spoke to God? No, the newspaper. Oh. And he legitimately looks, like, sincerely, like, surprised. Oh, it, that line just, <laughs> just, I just, no. laugh out loud, cracked me up. It, it, it just his, again, his delivery, Jace's delivery of, of that. It just, it's, it's great. I know it's a scripted line, but sometimes I feel like some of these reactions are ad-libbed. <laughs> they could be, you know, there could be some Im improv going on here. I mean, Jace clearly cut his teeth uh, with Second City in Chicago as an improv uh, you know, comedian, performer, and of course on Saturday Night Live, which is a lot of sketch comedies, but there's also a lot of improv there. So yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't be surprised if some of these lines are in improv by at least by Jason. I don't know. Some of the British actors might be a little more, you know, by the book, learn your mm -hmm. lines. But yeah, it's, it, that's a it's a really great moment. That just yes. that her reaction, everything. It's a great scene. Yeah, it's. <laughs> I don't know that she's ever going to get used to him reacting to the things that she does, and no. and I almost hope that she doesn't. I know because it's just such a great dynamic between the two. So she tells him that she's gotten the story killed, and of course that's when he he chants MVP, MVP. And then she tells him the alternative is that she's offered an interview to their more reputable <laughs> newspaper, yeah. The Independent, and that Trent Krim is going to be doing it. And this is a really interesting thing that happens. You see his body language shift a little bit like, hmm. And it's one of the few times that we've seen him be obviously uncomfortable. Clearly, he knows that Trent Krim is a powerhouse you know, with the hair, with the glasses, but also with the, the writing in the paper. Oh, yeah. And Ted's Ted's reaction, I, I thought, was fantastic. He's like, he's a tough cookie. Ready? Yeah, that's okay. You know what you do with tough cookies, don't you? No. Dip them in milk. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, that doesn't even really make sense, but it does. It's like an analogy, obviously, but she's clearly just not getting his folksy humor or analogies. Like, they're not landing with her at all. But yeah, he wasn't prepared for this turn of events of having Trent do sort of like a an in-depth profile on him as the new manager. Uh, but you know Ted will just kind of take it in stride and he'll figure out a way to make the most of it. And I think it's one of my favorite moments in this series is Trent's article when we when we hear it at the end of the episode. We'll get into that later. But yeah. Yeah. So the next scene is back on the pitch. And this is actually when Trent Krim shows up, which is really interesting because the episode is called Trent Krim, the independent. And he doesn't show up until midway, like half yeah. halfway through. Yeah. Midway through the, through the episode, uh, we're back on the pitch. They're running that same play again that, that Nate's come up with and we get the same result. Sam scores <laughs> again. The keeper is awful. <laughs> I don't know. I, I think I realize why they've lost like three or four or four or five yeah. at this point. It's just not good. And no then defense. no <laughs> <defense> at all. <laughs> but I love these. Again, there's some small pockets of, of cool stuff. Uh, Sam is just ecstatic about the fact that he is gaining confidence, that he's scoring a goal and, and then Ted in his, in his great coaching style is trying to convince Jamie to just like act crazy, you know, be that decoy. Yeah. And I think one thing, Adam, on this episode that we're seeing in, in its full form is Ted's childlike behavior, mm -hmm. not necessarily inappropriate, sometimes awkward, which is normal. You know, you've got this adult that's doing some of these things. Sort of childlike innocence, you know, yeah. that kind of very yeah. almost from a outsider's point of view, almost naive, you know, mm -hmm. 
does he even know what he's doing? And I think that's the key is he, he actually does, <laughs> but he doesn't let on. He's actually in a weird way, like a, a brilliant strategist in that, in that regard, because he doesn't yeah. let the other person understand what he's really doing or feeling or thinking mm -hmm. sort of catches them off guard. Yeah. And of course, Jamie's frustrated with all this. He's like, oh. I'm not a decoy. I'm yeah. the man. Then Roy kind of gets his moment. He basically says, I find it hilarious. I've always funnier than stepbrothers. Ooh, high praise. That scene where the bunk bed collapses. I used to think that was the funniest thing I'd ever seen, but then I just saw that. And now I'm going to have to rethink my order of what I think is the funniest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> and of course, so, Ted would like Step Brothers. Of course he would. Of yeah. course he would. <laughs> it's neat to see Roy kind of get a moment because <laughs> he doesn't get these often. You know, you've got right. this contrast of a conversation where he's coming to Jamie all humble and saying that you were gifted with this amazing foot. And now that foot's been taken away because you're a decoy. And so right. it's just it's it's wonderful. And then we get, of course, Trent Krim, the independent, coming up to the pitch, watching him sort of see how Ted coaches. And then the moment where Ted reveals that that play, he said, that's yeah. an interesting play. Did you come up with it? He said, nope, my man, Nate the Great did. And he goes, yeah. who's Nate the Great? And he says, oh, he's the kit man. <laughs> yeah. and he goes, are you telling me that you're entrusting a Premier League football club's plays to a kit man? And this is a great line. He says... That young fella's forgot more about this sport than I'll ever know. <laughs> Heck, might be a genius. <laughs> and I think that speaks to what we just talked about, where this childlike innocence and maybe the attitude of knowing that he has a lot to learn. That's something that's really, really cool, sort of an underbelly of a, of a lesson that if you're not putting yourself in a position to feel like you can always learn, you're really not doing yourself a good service. If you feel like, yeah, I've learned everything about the sport or I don't need to know any more about how to produce or how to lead people. If that's the attitude you have, that sort of fixed mindset, you're not going to grow. Ted clearly represents a growth mindset. <laughs> if you're, if anybody, you know, if our listeners are familiar with that, you know what I'm talking about, but that's something that I love about him is that he's constantly putting himself in a place of humility where he knows not only what he doesn't know, but he vault people who do to a place where they need, like he needed that play yep. and he doesn't care where it comes from, whether it's beard or his brain or Jamie, probably not Jamie since it's taking him out of the play or the kit man. So it's such a, such a cool way for him to unapologetically say, yep, this is where it came from. And you know what? I'm going to respect him. And he's just honest. I think that's the other thing that Trent quickly mm -hmm. learns that he's honest and genuine and he's not trying to take credit for anything that he doesn't actually accomplish, this is who Ted is. And if the kit man was responsible for this successful new play, and if it actually helps them win a game, then Nate's going to get the credit, you know, and he's fine with that. He doesn't care because, again, and he, he reveals on multiple occasions to Trent Krim during this time they spend together that winning and losing isn't really what's most important to him. And again, for Trent, that's doesn't make sense. Absolutely. Because it's just not the normal way of thinking. Mm -hmm. That's what makes Ted different and special. And Trent slowly starts to see sort of the genius of Ted as well. Yeah, we get a hint of what's to come from that dinner that I think yeah. is really special. So after the after practice or after training, <laughs> we mm -hmm. get back into the locker room. Nothing has changed with Jamie and Nate and the boys. 
And Jamie's actually not in there, but clearly the, the, his, yeah, his two minions or, his or min- <laughs> side, whatever it was. <laughs> yeah. Are, are messing with Nate. And of course, Roy is just absolutely just frustrated. So he runs out with no shirt on outside to look for, for Jamie. And then we get this wonderful back and forth dialogue between him and Keeley. And I, I don't know if you picked up on this, but I'm feeling a little bit of, I guess you could call it sexual tension, but there's clearly like some sort of backhand flirting that's going on because oh, yeah. the, their chemistry is just really, really good. Yeah. And it doesn't hurt that he's shirtless in the parking right. lot. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he's, he's, he's wearing a coat as James. Oh says. yeah. Well, his hair coat. Yeah. Hair coat. Chest, <laughs> chest hair coat. Yeah, right. <laughs> and so he starts the conversation insulting Jamie and saying nasty things about Keely's boyfriend. And then she starts this little conversation comparing him in his relationship to his ex-girlfriend. Um, didn't your last girlfriend like steal your Rolex and sell it for drug money? So? I don't need a phone and a watch. <laughs> He's trying to get through the conversation. He's like, we're missing the point here. I'm trying to get back on track. And for me, the best moment, and this is probably my Tedism for the episode, is when he does both the best and worst impression of Ted Lasso. He says, Howdy, y'all cowboys. My name is Ted Lasso, and I'm from Kansas. And she's watching him, and she is realizing that you know, clearly he's upset. But it, it's interesting, Adam, watching her with him is like watching Ted with her when she's freaking out about the Sun article, that she's right. keeping her composure. She's hearing him. She goes into that whole bit about how she could get under his skin. He goes, no, you can't. So she starts interrupting him. And she knows exactly what can get at him. And then she sort of leaves him speechless. And then the last moment of the scene is when she does her impression of Roy Kent Oh, yeah. I'm Roy Kent, and I get paid to play a game, but I'm mad all the time. (sighs) (laughs) Yeah. And then she, yeah, she does the the, 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 the grunt, right? So clearly there is a relationship there. Like they know each other. It's not like they're strangers, but I think this is a really cool scene. I agree. Because it expands these two characters in their relationship with each other. And what I feel like might happen is he's going to have to start kind of leaning on her for some stuff. Maybe there's going to be some stuff going on with her and him. I don't think that so far there's not going to be a wasted scene. It's either going to be played for laughs, but it'll push the narrative. It'll be dramatic and it'll push the narrative. I don't feel like there's going to be just like the reason we like doing this show episodes behind the paywall, these original series don't have filler episodes because they're not required to meet a a 22 or 23 episode thing. And I think on a smaller scale, scenes of these episodes are not wasted. And so I'm excited to see how their relationship is going to evolve. It may stay the same. I'm excited to see where that goes. And I think it's interesting to note that both now Ted and Roy are essentially going through Keeley to try to fix the problem with Jamie, the issues they're having with him on and off the field. Right. They're not getting anywhere going directly to Jamie. So they both essentially are trying to utilize 
Keeley in that regard to kind of and and also in a way Rebecca is too. She's she's trying to use Keeley. So it's just there's uh, so much Keeley seems to sort of be this very interesting kind of linchpin character between all of these male characters. Yeah, that's a that's a great observation. She does a fantastic job in her role. Um, I'm glad we're seeing more of her. I think this is an episode where she shines, even though it's not called Keeley. It's no. called Trent Grimm. <laughs> but that leads to back into the clubhouse. We have the moment with Trent Grimm sort of sneaking around and they, they, they compare him to a Roomba. You know, he's just yeah. sort of in and out. and Oh, he's looking for dirt. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a great comparison. But that's yeah. also the moment where... Ted makes that comment about how he doesn't really care about wins and losses. And I'm like, yeah. what? Oh, man. And I love Trent's reaction. He's like, yep, that's something worth writing about right there. And you could tell he's like, I got firepower now. So yeah. that surprised me. Yeah, Ted's laying it all out. He's not pretending to be, if anything, he's leaning into who he is. Mm-hmm. As opposed to most people, I think if they were being interviewed or followed by a journalist, they would be like on their best behavior and almost changing who they are to a certain extent. So they appear to be smarter or better than they really are, or better than they might be perceived to be. Yeah. But Ted's just like, nope, I'm going to lean right into all <laughs> of what makes me who I am. And, you know, kind of like her or or don't it's up to you and yeah. unapologetic very yeah, unapologetic. unapologetic that's it perfect yeah yeah well then we get back to rebecca's office and keely very confident comes yeah. in with the with a cactus because she wants to give rebecca a gift and she says it's kind of like you and then we we get a little bonding moment with these yeah, two they seem to have a little a little spark of a friendship forming uh in this scene yeah, and it's very funny, obviously, but also just like we're getting a, a start with, with Keely and Roy, we're now getting this with, with Keely and Rebecca. And of course, it's all centered around this common ground of being exploited, yeah. <laughs> even though Rebecca is the one that sort of set this up. I think this is a great moment where Rebecca sort of takes a little bit of her armor off. I think there's this sort of communal moment between her and Keely. I won't say me too, because I don't want to use that hashtag, but <laughs> there is a sense of camaraderie where even though it's Rebecca's fault, she can now share that kind of awkwardness and discomfort and frustration with someone else. It's it's really cool to see how she responds to that. Now she still keeps her her guard up. The scene finishes with, with Keely leaving her her shoes there and yeah. Rebecca has to remind her shoes, you know, come back. You're not, we're not quite there on the friendship level. She, yeah, she made herself right at home. She's like, got up on the couch with her shoes off. And yeah, Keely is a very different type of individual than Rebecca. <laughs> and, but sometimes, you know, opposites attract and, and maybe that's what's going to happen here. Yeah. This is definitely an episode where we're getting a lot more elevation of some of these I won't call them side characters, but supporting characters. Yeah. You know, it's not just about Ted's issues now. We're getting a lot more screen time for these others, which is really, really good. Yeah. So then we move to the the elementary school, and this is the first time we get to see the what I would say the softer side of Roy. Oh, or at yeah. least one that one that cares about someone outside of the football club. We're getting hints of that because he's starting to defend Nate. And now he goes to the elementary school. Yeah, Roy and Ted go and they bring Trent with them which right you know trent of course thinks is a little suspicious like you happen to be going to speak to an, a school on the day i'm here and <laughs> he's like yep 
that's that's a coincidence. <laughs> yeah. And and this leads to probably what is my favorite moment or line of this episode. And it's when Ted introduces Roy Kent, one of the star players of the team. And Roy just stands up there, you know, grimaces and says, Never been much for public speaking or school, really. Always seemed like a waste of time to me. <laughs> it's everything who he is in that line. Yeah, he's, again, also a very unapologetically honest individual. And we also learn in this scene that he has a niece named Phoebe that goes to the school. And mm -hmm. instead of continuing to talk to the kids, he's like, let's just go outside and play, you know, and they all, yeah. you know, they all cheer and, and rush outside. And there's some great moments mm -hmm. where they're just sort of outside bonding and playing together. Yeah. I think it shows the comfort level of him on the pitch or outside playing as opposed to being a speaker. Right. Then we get his introduction to his niece. And did you, did you catch that? He called her that idiot I did when not. he was, yeah. He's talking to Ted uh. and he says, I'm just here for my niece. And Ted goes, oh yeah, which one is she? That idiot. <laughs> Did you just call her that I guess idiot? it's an affectionate idiot. Only Roy. Yeah. Only that would, only Roy would make that sound really genuine oh, yeah. and, and heartfelt. Let's <laughs> call her that idiot. <laughs> yeah. He just, Roy really I, had some great moments and lines in, in this episode, in, but in particular, this scene, I, that one point where he's just like, he looks over to Trent and he's like, Trent, you're a colossal prick. You always have been. <laughs> just so good. He's just so direct. And I've never seen a character like this on a show before. I, I can't think of any character like Roy. And I think that's why he's become such a fan favorite. He's just, mm -hmm. he's just a unique and hilarious character. Apparently, it's not in his nature as a character to smile, but I did notice there was a maybe a half second moment when he's throwing the soccer ball to the kids to do headers. And at some point, I don't remember what was happening, but he just grinned for, for a second. And I'm like, oh, wait, was it when the kid kicked the ball in Ted's face and like hit his nose? Was that when it was? I don't. It may have been. It may have been when Phoebe sure. did that, but I, I know it was out on the playground right, when right. it happened. Because that was something that I would not have expected. And I said, did 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 I did Brett Goldstein smile or <laughs> right. did did Roy? Did the character smile? Yeah. It, you know, it's hard to tell. I would probably say the actor did because I don't think Roy can't ever smile. No. <laughs> <laughs> At least not yet. Yeah. Not yet. Not yet. We're optimistic about that, yeah. as as Ted is as well. Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, we get to that moment where he's finding out about the plot to a wrinkle in time. I think it's great that Trent Krim is the one that kind of delivers that line. Oh yeah. Because it comes out of nowhere. And Roy yells, am I supposed to be the little girl? Yeah. And Ted goes, I hope you are. <laughs> yeah. So perfect. Adam, there is an honesty in this whole episode oh. that I think is is a through line. This yeah. is one of the themes that everybody seems to be honest. Like there's no, with the exception of Rebecca hiding the whole son issue, there is no deception at all. No. It's all just like, I'm just going to be me, whether it's uh, Roy or whether it's Ted, Trent. It's just... Yeah. It's all just right in your face. And there's not really a bad guy, if you will. I mean, even Rebecca, yes, she's sort of, but she's she has a plot, if you will, or uh, that she's trying to, something she's trying to accomplish that's, that's not good for the other characters. But we also feel for her and understand where she's coming from and also hope that she will learn sort of the error in her ways and 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 stop what she's doing obviously that's where what we're all hoping for i mean i guess you could maybe say that jamie is an antagonist 
in in the sense that he's just a jerk and you know makes everyone's lives more difficult but yeah it's it's interesting that most of the characters are fully three-dimensional in that they have good moments bad moments but there's no clear defining kind of bad guy i'm looking forward to seeing how each of these characters how they get rounded out whether for better or for worse i mean that's the thing about characters is you can grow to love a character and then they can deceive you or you can grow to hate a character and then they could find redemption in somebody. I think that's what makes characters interesting. Thanos is a fantastic example of a round villain who you end up feeling a little bit sorry for. Sorry, it's a little Avengers Avengers rabbit hole there. But I think that that's good writing on on these characters. Yeah. So we, uh, we move to the restaurant, which I think is probably my favorite scene, even though it's not like the one that makes me laugh the most or the one that's most memorable, but I think it's the one that's probably the exclamation point. Like this, this sort of lands the plane on what I would consider why the episode's called Trent Krem, the independent Ted brings Trent to this Indian restaurant. I may have missed this in the first two episodes, but apparently the guy that owns the restaurant gave him a ride well, I think it was meant to be his name's Ollie, I think. I think it was the yeah. taxi driver that brought him from the gotcha. airport and I guess Oh, they, that's right. Yeah, yeah, they yeah. They bonded a little bit cuz he took him to see the uh Tower Bridge. There's the Tower Bridge cuz yeah. cuz he the got the bridge fell, fell yeah, down. Yeah, this one hadn't fell, fallen down yet. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, but they apparently bonded and so he knew I guess that he worked also at this restaurant which I think his uncle was the chef his at. dad his dad his dad's a chef his, yeah, his, his a stepfather chef. maybe what it was that's yeah. yeah 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 um and so um, that's probably why ted took him there because he knew somebody you know in this small town ted doesn't know a lot of people but he did meet this character ollie you know and so this was a chance for for maybe him to bring trent into a location where he had a little home field advantage perhaps and i always felt that was sort of strategic on Ted's part because he knew that Ted Ted knew that he was going to be able to strike up a little conversation with Ollie the waiter and they were going to you know it was just going to make Ted look a little better now did Ted know that he was going to order this spicy Indian food that he's never had before in his life I don't know I don't think he even knew what Indian food was (laughs) so that again, was all part of uh, a great scene that really, for me, as you said, it really is just one of those scenes in a movie or a show that you don't ever forget because here he is eating this food that he's never tried before that's incredibly spicy. And I think, in fact, they brought him like the spiciest dish on the double menu. portions of it too. Yeah, double portions. Like yeah. We know how you Americans like to eat a lot. Yeah. So we're just going to go <laughs> feed you there. <laughs> and again, uh, one of maybe my favorite Tedism of this episode when Ted's just, you can see him physically sweating. Like he's just his forehead. He's just like he's trying to force. He's like, we got to make a dent in this. You know, he's just, he's trying to eat as much as he can. And he even takes, <laughs> Trent's food off his plate because Trent's like I I can't I can't do this you know and Ted's just like nope I got to do it so he's he's just eating it eating it and then at one point he just looks up to Trent and says let me ask you this is my tongue still in my mouth because I'm about to hallucinate from all the heat here 
<laughs> and then and then the waiter brings him more, as you said. Like it's just like and he's just like, okay, I'm gonna do, I'm gonna I'm gonna keep going. So that is determination. That is you know that's Ted Lasso. It is, and I think that scene for me culminates to when Ted is talking about coaching, and he said, "I'm gonna say this again, and I want you to hear me because I'm not." lying when I say this. He wants to make a point. I don't care about wins and losses. What I care about is the character of, of these men. Yeah. That's why I love coaching. And it's prefaced by him saying, you know, Trent, you like writing. I love coaching. And there's nothing I want to do more than coach. And he finishes that by saying, it's not easy, but neither is growing up without someone believing in right. you. I wanted to really ask this question, Adam. Do you think it's a hint of something from Ted's past? Do you think that there's something going on with him where he is compensating, overcompensating, or really sort of doubling down on this idea of leaning into motivating and believing in the the kids that and adults that he coaches? Yeah, I, I like to think that he was giving a little, whether intentional or not, little backstory there, right, about who he was as a young kid and perhaps it was his father we don't know we don't know much about his family outside of his wife and son that are back in the states but yeah maybe something in his childhood it, it could it could have been a coach he had somebody that didn't believe in him so he wanted to be the opposite of that person it could be a father it could be a stepfather i mean we just don't know right but clearly something about his past is influencing and has shaped him into the person that he is now. Yeah. I, I think that if I had to put a theory out there, I think that some kind of mentor who cared more about winning and losing than they did about the team. And maybe that there was some kind of trauma mm -hmm. from that, that put him in a position where he's like, I'm not going to do right. that. It, it reminds me of those stories you hear about kids from divorced families who are from divorced families who are from divorced families who want to just break the cycle. And as a husband or wife, you're like, I'm not going to be like my dad, or I'm not right. going to be like my mom. And then of course, there are always going to be moments where, oh my gosh, I just said this. And like, I never thought I'd say this, that my dad said the same thing when, when he was raising me and how I'm saying this to my, my son or my daughter. And I think that that's Maybe that's something that is being played into this kind of thing where there's a little bit more under the surface. And I think that's with a lot of these characters. With Keely and Roy, that conversation they had outside the the clubhouse, there's a hint of something underneath yeah. the history there. There's obviously stuff that we are thinking about with Ted. And I'm kind of inclined to believe that there's more stuff going on with Jamie. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. or even or even Sam. I'm hoping that as we get through this season, there is care taken with these other characters because we're starting to fall in love with them. We're starting to get to know them, Rebecca and maybe Higgins to an extent. Yeah. I'd like to see some more Higgins because he's a lot of fun having Caesar you later salads, you know, it's <laughs> <Exactly. laughs> so fun. But, uh, but yeah, I think that that's something that a good series is going to bring, which is, uh, giving us a little bit more depth. I think I probably said that already about rounding out these characters. I think all of these characters and the actors playing them probably have, with the writers, written their backstories. Whether these backstories fully come 
out at, during episodes at some point. Who knows? But I think that they need to create fully developed characters in their minds in order to perform and play them as well as they are as they are right so yeah. i think sometimes little little nuggets of information might slip out that it's sort of up to us to decide how we want to take that and with the with the knowledge that probably the the actors and writers do have an idea of what that means and they've written it it's just a question of when when or it will we ever be given the full backstory of that that character or of those of that sure. relationship that those two characters might have had in the past but i think the actors know <laughs> well i will trust the actors yeah. then <laughs> as the season goes on so the episode finishes after a brief uh coda i would say with roy and phoebe yeah. he's reading a wrinkle in time to her and of course he's discovering oh my gosh this is me and he's at the end of the book already i was like how uh, first of all this has to be He's well read, later. Adam. You don't know that about him. Yeah, it, uh, it has to be because a Trent couldn't have written his piece that quickly and published it that quickly, and there's no way that Roy could have read that entire book to his niece in bed <laughs> in one night. So I feel like we must have jumped forward a few days in time, a wrinkle in time. Um, <laughs> Maybe he time traveled. There you go. Maybe that's, that's what, what this show is really about. <laughs> that time travel. We just well, I'm on board. I'm on board. If I wasn't yeah. already, <laughs> Ted's gonna have to go back in time to stop his parents. No, um, <laughs> but yeah, there, that's a great scene where he's reading to his his niece in bed, uh, and he has this sort of revelation, and he says the f word really loud right in front of his niece um, when he realizes Ted's. You know, he's basically Ted's right. This is me. <laughs> I'm the little girl. Yeah. Can't be anyone else. <laughs> Can't be anyone else. And then he finishes it by giving her a kiss. I think it's so cool to see his relationship with Phoebe. Oh, so good. So like even at the playground, he says, come on, Phoebe, let's get out of here. And then you just see him yeah. extend his hand and hold her hand. Like, he, you know, he cares so much about her, but he's just this, this gruff exterior. Yeah. And she, Phoebe, as a, I don't know if she's seven, I'm not sure how old she is, but she clearly has a better moral compass than he does <laughs> right now because he's like t constantly calling him out when he says a bad word. She knows right. at her young age, these are not good words. Right. Don't use them. And he just <laughs> lets them slip in all the wrong times. Right. <laughs> so then we get to the phone call and this is where yep. the, the episode finally finishes up. Rebecca asks Higgins to read this article, this advanced copy from the independent from Trent Krim entitled wayward ted yes that was the name of the article wayward ted so we we get this sort of voiceover that starts with higgins and leads into into trent Krim, you know reading his right. own work i love the way this scene is shot because you get this dichotomy of the good and the bad happening with ted and trent acknowledges that i mean he acknowledges the fact that ted twice said that wins and losses are not as important to him as other things yet he still perseveres and at the same time we see ted walking in the streets he meets that kid who he gave the soccer ball to with the with the blood stain because he got hit in the hit in the nose yeah. by oh that was by, such a funny moment too God, <laughs> by Roy's knees. and he, he has that great throwaway line of like don't clone me you know <laughs> that yeah you say yeah don't go and clone me with that blood yeah <laughs> <laughs> but the kid asks him how's your nose he goes it's great yeah but then yeah. in sync with the words of trent Krim's article 
he comes up to the the three guys from the pub and they just call him wanker and they're mad at him except for that one guy in the middle right again that's another example of like starting the walls are starting to fall Mm -hmm. a little bit here a little bit there but i was i was reminded of the fact that this whole scene really does feel like a a way to show that ted's not going to win over everybody that there will always be people that don't like his coaching style. They don't like the fact that he's coming in from the United States, not knowing anything about the sport, rightly so to some degree, but we also see pockets of people that do. And they like him not because he's a coach, but because of his connection to them. Mm -hmm. Ollie was surprised at the restaurant. So you came in, he says, well, yeah, you said, come by. So, but I didn't, you know, I didn't expect that. And even the way that he respects Trent Krim, he said, you know, Trent, this is Ollie. Ollie, this is Trent. Uh, congrats. You both just met a cool person. And so right. there's this, there's this really great way that he includes people. He makes everyone feel valued and welcome. But I like the fact that not everything that he experienced and not everything that Trent wrote about was all good. It wasn't this right. glowing review, but it wasn't this trash review. Yeah, it wasn't a hit piece at, at that Rebecca was hoping it would be. Exactly. That obviously made her extremely upset, but like you said, it also wasn't completely glowing mm-hmm. either. I mean, I think some of the language was very, very carefully chosen. Like mm-hmm. when he says, but if the lasso way is wrong, it's hard to imagine being right. Yeah. You know, Trent's a good writer. I'll just say it right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or or whoever writes Trent. And ghost writes for Trent. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I think he says, And though I believe that Ted Lasso will fail here and Richmond will suffer the embarrassment of relegation, I won't gloat when it happens because I can't help but root for him. And I think that's really important because he may not succeed in his ultimate goal of coaching a winning football team, but it doesn't mean he's a bad coach. Or that he's a failure. Or that he's a failure. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I think that's what Trent's article is really sort of hitting at. And in between all this, we see Roy going in and really just laying the smack down on Jamie. So he's getting. Uh. He's getting his conclusion. He, I didn't realize this until watching it this time that he actually didn't get a chance to talk to Jamie. You know, he talked to Keeley, so his mission wasn't really complete. And so going in there and, you know, with that great sense of humor that the writers have saying, I can't see you because I'm old, but yeah. And, <laughs> and he comes in the first, he does headbutts one of the other players. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> one of his minions, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And you see it cut to like, uh, you know, to Jamie and to, to Keely, and you can see Keely is kind of impressed. She's right. kind of like, "Oh, wow, this guy's this guy's a man." You yeah, know, he just comes in and does what he what he says, and nothing stops him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's 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 a great moment. And and when he says Keely, and she goes Roy, you know, there's just little nods, like mm-hmm. you said. There's clearly some history here, something, but there's a little a little something else coming yeah. uh, coming together in this scene yeah. because they there's clearly some type of a uh, of, of attraction there mm-hmm. and i think he makes some line before he leaves about he just basically trashes on jamie's drink he's like vanilla vodka such a child and jamie's just sitting there like completely stunned like what just happened and what is going on and clearly I think the point is finally made, right? That he has to stop picking on Nate. That was the whole point of this of this scene where he barges into the club. It's just to make sure that Jamie understands 100% that Nate's kind of off limits going forward. And, and all his you know minions are there too. So now mm-hmm. they can hear it straight from him. He's the team captain. 
you're going to listen or you're yeah. or you're all going to get headbutted. <laughs> <laughs> so two observations. One, this is the first time with that conflict that both Jamie and his minions hear it at the same time. So early in the episode, he was just confronting Jamie. Second time, because he couldn't find Jamie, he was confronting his minions. And I think that's important because you see this consistency or you see in this kind of culmination of him saying, look, I'm serious. Second observation is, I don't know that it's necessarily just about Nate. I think this is a growth moment for, for Roy where he's establishing his role as captain. And he's saying, look, I'm not the fastest, obviously. I'm not the youngest, but I'm still the captain. And there's really more to this than just taking care of what's going on on the pitch. And so I think this moment with Nate that genuinely bothered him. It somehow embodies all the problems for for mm-hmm. for Roy, the situation with Nate and how he's being bullied is sort of the embodiment of everything wrong with the team. And if he maybe if he can fix right. that one thing, it, it'll start making them work together better as a team. And so the episode ends essentially, Adam, like it begins with Rebecca yeah. yelling the F word. <laughs> Not happy. <laughs> so I thought I thought that was a great yeah. little bookend to be able to start and finish the episode with Rebecca just freaking out <laughs> yep. for different reasons. <laughs> so I think overall we could both say that this was a, a solid third episode. Oh, so it was an excellent one. And as I mentioned earlier, I really felt that that ending voiceover where it starts with it being read by Higgins Mm -hmm. and then sort of transitions over to to Trent's voice. It was just a great way to, to wrap up this episode because you really get. I mean, this could have gone totally backwards for Ted like this. He could have been on a plane the next day. Right. Because if this article was a hit piece he could it it could have ruined his chances of continuing right but it actually did the opposite and and in such a really measured way that ted's essentially getting another chance to prove that he can do something this article doesn't detract but it also it it doesn't really bolster him either it just kind of it's sort of very neutral in that in that regard it gives him a chance to keep trying to keep moving in in the direction with his style, doing it his way, and to say, okay, let's see what he can do. Let's see what the Ted Lasso way can accomplish. And maybe we'll be rooting for that, but it still may not work out. They still Mm -hmm. don't, he, he clearly doesn't think it's going to be successful, but he's seeing another side to Ted now, as right. many of the characters are starting to as well. Yeah, and he says something interesting. I think it's at dinner, but he says to Ted, he said, you really believe the stuff that you're saying. And that's really important. Like he's not yeah. blowing smoke. No. The ability to be able to live out what you're saying, the ability to back up your words with actions. To me, that's such a great character trait of anybody because you're not just preaching something. You're actually... When you believe in what you're doing, you're just going to gravitate towards that kind of attitude and your actions are going to be reflective of those things. And people will believe you also because exactly. it's gonna, it will be believable, right? It's, it's like an actor. An actor can't perform a character if they don't believe the characters and understand their motivations and understand why they're doing what they're doing. Right. If they're just reciting lines, it's not going to come across as as believable. So I think because Ted, as you said, truly believes in, in all of his actions and everything he says, it this is this is what starts to rub off on on the people in his in his orbit. For sure. Well that's going to wrap up this episode of an original series. Adam, what do we have coming up? 
Next up, yeah, we have episode four of Ted Lasso season one, which is entitled For the Children. So I'm excited to figure out uh, what that's all about. For the children. Yeah. <laughs> they had an orphanage or something. Sure. <laughs> These are somewhat cryptic episode titles. <laughs> but I'm uh, I'm ready. I can't I'm, wait to watch it. I am it. too. Yeah. This this is a great uh, a great episode. And of course, there's so much more that we're going to be able to talk about as the season goes on. So this is good stuff. Thanks for tuning in and joining our conversation, everyone. I'm Patch. He's Adam. And we are out of here. <laughs>